title is How God Gave His Son and What It Means for Us. And I'm going to do something slightly different. Rather than having us jump into the text, which is an extensive piece from the book of Luke, the second chapter, I want to look at that in a moment. I did want to do something a little bit different. I wanted to put up a, a number of verses, just a few, actually four of them, on the screen. And um, I wanted us to note that these verses, because some of them are well-known. One of them is extraordinarily well-known. And then the others are a little more obscure, less known. But they have a common theme. Each one of them addresses in some way, and, no, and you will notice the emphasis on giving. The first one is some, a verse that many of us have heard before. Uh, it's, some people call it the most recognizable verse in all the Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not die, but have life everlasting both now and, and to come, overflowing in abundance. Now, that verse, if you really look at it, is all about giving. What's interesting, it was given to a man who was a seeker. His name was Nicodemus. That verse is not just something that was on its own, a verse sort of given a saying by Jesus. It was actually part of a context. There was a context to it. It was part of an exchange that occurred between Jesus and Nicodemus, and, and he was really inquiring about what God was doing. And Jesus said this. He said, God loves this, so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the context was to answer a, a seeking question. Now, what's interesting is that verse is usually associated, and I think legitimately so, with the, the death of Christ, the fact that he died for us, that God loved us so much that he gave his son to die in our place. And there's no question that in the, in the passage itself, it implies that it's speaking about his death. But I would like us to think about one thing in relation to this that we maybe don't often do. And I found myself just sort of meditating on it as well. You know, I looked at this verse and I said, Lord, let me see this verse in a slightly different way through the context of Christmas. And it really does capture it as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. God loved us, and so he gave. He gave us Jesus. The birth of Christ is a celebration of the love of God in the giving of the Son. And it's changed everything. Notice the next couple of verses that follow. Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to give his life, to give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 2, 20 I'll quote it slightly differently than what's going to go up, but Paul basically says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice the emphasis, gave himself for me. And then another recognizable verse around Christmas time, Isaiah 9, 6. Think about this. For unto us a, a child what is born, and unto us a son is given. The government shall rest upon his shoulders, and we're going to call his name, you know, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But think about it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Every, all these, those four verses each had with them this idea of giving. And I want to try to suggest here, right on the outset, foundationally, that giving is at the heart of the good news. It's the heart of the Christmas story. In fact, God loves and God gives. God gives because God loves. Giving and love go interchangeably. And that's a big part of what we're going to see as well. Think about it. God, at, what, we, what do we celebrate at Christmas? God gives us his son. And then, and then the one who was given to us gives his life for us on the cross, so that we might be given life through him. It's all about giving. 
Now, keeping that in mind as we come to this passage of Scripture that is also commonly connected to the Christmas uh, story and account, let's read it together. This is Luke's account of the birth of Christ in our handout, in our Bibles, Luke 2, verses 1 through 16. And it came to pass, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered, um, all the world should be registered. That is, they needed to come and register for the purpose of taxation. Uh, This was done under the reign of Caesar Augustus. All the world would be a reference to the world that constituted the expanse of the Roman Empire under Augustus's reign. It was a a very extensive uh, um, range of territory that had come under the sway of the Roman Empire. If one will recall, the Roman Republic had been changed into an empire uh, um, dominated by one man, Augustus. This is the time in which Jesus is born, a very interesting time in the history of civilization. When you have a road system developed, you have a, what was known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that was done because Rome had settled with most of their enemies in a military fashion, and it was kind of a piece of military oppression. This was the context historically in which Jesus was born. But we're told here that they wanted everybody to be registered for the purpose of taxation. In other words, to, before you can collect taxes, you've got to know who the people are to collect them from. And so they send everybody back to the city of their ancestors, where their ancestors were born. And we're told that here, and it makes sense. And then in Luke in verse 2, again, he just um, he grounds this historically by saying, the census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. That would have meant more to the readers of Luke's day than it does to us. It says, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Look at this, verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. All these cities are still there today. Bethlehem, by the way, was the place of David's birth, the city of David. It means, interestingly enough, house of bread. Think about that. The one who was born there would be the one who would say, I am the bread of life. Then we go on. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, And so it was, verse 6, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That is good news, joyous news, which will be to all people. For why? Because there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. He'll be lying in a manger. And suddenly there, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Heaven breaks loose. The heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was that when the angels had gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And by the way, Christmas has everything to do with seeing afresh, with fresh eyes and a fresh heart, these things that God has done. It goes on to say, and they came with haste in a hurry and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, I say all that because one of the things that is so clear here, just stay with me on this, is that it's, you know, it, it, it's one of the things that really actually does stand out when you, when you think about it. it. It's not just so much about how the Lord came, it's, it's how he didn't come. When the Lord enters into this world, when the Savior is born, It's amazingly modest. It's stunningly modest. 
It's so humble and obscure and stealth that it's essentially missed. The greatest people in the world didn't even know about it. It didn't make the news. Hardly a blip on the radar screen. A little bit of heaven breaks out. A few people, but nothing more. Where is he born? Think about it. There were no trumpets blasting. There was no nation shaking and trembling. He wasn't born in a palace in the place of a king, into the places of the wealth. It was none of that. It's, it's, it's pretty extraordinary when we actually realize, you know, that old, that song, that hymn, that carol that we frequently sing around Christmas time, O Little Town of Bethlehem, O Little Town of Bethlehem. But in that third stanza, and I actually put that stanza in the hand out there, how silently, how silently, remember, the wondrous gift is given. And there's this whole reference to it here, that God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven, and then no ears may hear his coming. But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. You know what? That, that, that verse talks about the silent, humble way that Jesus came. And I want to suggest this, firstly, that when, he, when God gave us his son, he gave us his son, number one, with astonishing humility. It was an amazing humility. The, the, the carol underscores it, no question about it. But when you think about how the Lord came to us, how the Lord was born, the manner in which he was born, it's unexpected, it's unsophisticated, it's almost crude. You know, we tend to romanticize it. We almost make it Rembrandt-esque in our minds. You know, it's got the soft yellow lights, the brown hues. It's just very, it feels warm and, and it's just special. We, we, we sentimentalize it. You know, we've got the animals and the nativity scene and Jesus is there and everybody's smiling and it's happy and they're clean clothes and there's the three, the three wise men are there with their, open treasure and it's just really nice and even the animals join in right it's just this really <laughs> this wonderful occasion and and that's great and I and part of me just loves that and that's part of what I enjoy you know about the whole Christmas nativity event but you know what in reality it wasn't anything quite like that I mean there were elements of that but honestly it was far different in reality the Bible makes it clear um, you know, for one thing, the wise men don't even show up till a few years later. That's, that's one thing. Luke tells us that. Um, but they're kind of brought in, you know, uh, in, the, in the way that we try to present it visually. To, and, and yet, at the same time, let me, can we say this? It wasn't anything as neat and sanitized as that. And it wasn't fun. It might have been special, gentle, mysterious. Yes, I agree with that. But you got to remember, where Jesus was born was, in a, was basically in a, in a barn that was carved out of a cave. It was damp, it was dark, and it wasn't well lit. And not only that, there were animals there. And animals, when they're in a cave, well, you know what I'm saying. It didn't smell good. And things were there that needed to be cleaned up. It was a messy, stinky, damp place. And it wasn't by any means what Mary and Joseph had been hoping for. They came looking for a room in the inn. They got told, we've got one spot, and that's all we've got if you want it. It's over there where the animals are. And you know what? I'll tell you something. It was the leftover of the leftovers. When Jesus comes into this world, when the Son of God, when the King of glory is born, he, think about how he comes. He comes into the, into the messy, dark place. He's, it's way out there on the side. There's something about it. There's something about that that has to speak to us in some way. 
And, I, and I'm reminded that God, what, is, what does it tell us at some level? Well, at some level, it's got to teach us something. And one of the things it teaches us beyond anything else that might be associated with it is that, you know what? God often shows up in the most unlikely places. And that there really is no place that he might not surprise us by his presence. God often shows up in the shadows, in the dark and in the ugly, in the broken and the pained places. That oftentimes God shows up in the places of shame. A lot of times, and we say, well, God doesn't do it. Yes, he does. He comes into the mess. He's born into the mess. He's born into the shadows. He's born into the darkness. He's born into the alienation. He's on the outside, not the... He think about how he comes. Because a lot of times we're tempted to say, well, you know what? You know, I, God, God really can't work this in my life. I'm going to say, don't say that. Let Christmas, one thing it can remind us of, look at the humility in which God comes. How can we be afraid of the Lord? He wants to come. He's not afraid to come into the dark place. He'll come into the messy place. He'll come into the place. That's what, He was born there. When God comes, he came low. And there's something about that. There's something about, you know, could it be that because of God's grace, there is never truly any place that we can actually ever call God forsaken? That a lot of times when we are running the fastest to get away and feel the least worthy of the Lord, that his love comes to us like a gift from heaven. That he shows up and he speaks to us and he calls us by name. In the place where we were hide out and run in our shame or our anger, our frustration and our defeat, that God comes right there, right there, and says, I love you. I remind myself of the great story that Jesus taught when he told the story of the prodigal son, and he pictures God like that father, and he says, when that son comes home and he's beaten, he's emaciated, he's, he's in rags, he's just so <laughs> worn down, He's the lost boy. And his father, instead of running back to him and saying, I told you so. What are you doing coming back home? You spent everything I gave you. He runs up to him and he throws his arms around him and he starts to kiss him. And Jesus says, that's what God is like. It's a beautiful picture. The Lord loves us. That's grace. That's grace. Mercy is getting what we deserve, or at least maybe not being punished in the way we deserve it to be. <laughs> It's being held back, judgment held back. But grace, not only is judgment held back, it's gift given on top. It's the love of God. He says, my grace will fill your life. It's powerful. It's a dynamic that we must be aware of. And I think a lot of times it's in those places where maybe some of us have felt the farthest away from God, the least worthy and the most ashamed, that we find that the Lord comes to us and it breaks our heart because we feel his love even in our failure even in our anger, even in our wound. He shows up. He comes. He's not afraid of the ugly things. He's not afraid. He comes to it. Secondly, and it's really noted here as well, again, this whole idea in verse 7 of the fact that there was no room for him in the end, God gave him, his son in a way that was vulnerable to rejection. Why is that significant? Because, listen, loved ones, he was and still is rejectable. You think about that. God allows himself to be rejected by human beings. God allows himself to be rejected by us. That I put another stanza from another, another song in there. It's called Down From His Glory. And, and it, it's, it has this verse in it that says, what condescension bringing us re redemption, this idea of what humility that bought us freedom, 
that in the dark of night, not one faint hope in sight. And there's this part of the song. God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. Stooping to woo, to win, to save. God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor. Think about it. It's like what he's saying is God appeals to us. God comes. The Lord came. They said, no room for you. You've got to be born. He's rege- the Lord stoops to us. He woos. To, he woo- when you woo someone, when you appeal to us, it's an appeal. But it's, it's, you're vulnerable. We're vulnerable because we could be rejected. Wooing is to come down and say, oh, please, I plead with you. I, I, come, come with me. And a lot of times we say to the Lord, no, no, not there, not now. Later, maybe. Stooping to woo, to save, to win my soul. The, the, oh, there's this other verse in, the, in Revelations at the end of the, it's the last book of the Bible. There's this part where it says Jesus is pictured. He says, behold, you know what he's pictured as? He's pictured as someone waiting at the door, knocking. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's almost like the Lord is saying, let me in. You know, I was thinking about it because remember what it says here? There was no room for him in the end. Think about the end as our own life. We might, the one question is, is there room in the end for Jesus? Is there room in our lives for the Lord? That's one question. But here's a second question. If we say, yes, there is. I welcome him into my life. But then the next question is this. What room are we going to give him? Where is he in our life? And also, does he have freedom to move into every room in the house? Because I'm going to tell you something. There are some times where we say, Lord, you have freedom. You're welcomed here. Please come. I heard you knocking. Come in. But then the Lord comes to a door and he, he knocks. Let me in. We say, Lord, you can't, go, you can't go in that door. Not that door. That's kind of like got some stuff in that door. And I don't, really, I don't really feel comfortable with you coming into that door. That room is sort of like on the side. And I want to go there. And I don't want you going there. So you're welcome, in this, you're welcome here. But that room, not that room or that room, those are sort of like not things you would want to see anyway. And the Lord says, I want to go there. I want to be with you there. I want to walk with you there. I was born there. Let me in. Let me in. And so if anything this Christmas reminds us of is that we can say, come, O Redeemer, come. Come, one who sets free. Come into the places, in the places where I'm ashamed or where I struggle or where I have a hard time letting go. Come, yes, Lord, into those places too. Come, come, I am not afraid. Come, Lord, you who were willing to be rejected, you who, are woo, who would woo us and win us, you who would knock on the door of our heart and say, let us in, even so, Lord. If the Lord, look, some of us, the Lord is gonna say, this is the time, let my tenderness break you. One of the reasons I so love Christmas time and maybe I've grown to love it more, is because there's something about it that when it's welcomed in properly, it softens our heart and creates something in us that becomes more vulnerable with God. Maybe it's because he was so vulnerable with us. And so one of the things the Lord says is, don't be afraid. Let me in, even to the failing place, the broken place, the dark and damp place, the room that's locked and you don't want anybody to go into. Let me in. See what I can do. Let me love you. Let me break you free. Come, O Redeemer, come. Come in me. Come live in me. Keep setting me free. Not just once, but keep setting me free. Keep working in our lives, Lord. Keep challenging things in us. Help us, O Redeemer. See, welcoming the Redeemer. 
Welcoming the one who has come is welcoming into our lives again and again and again. To go until he has freedom to move anywhere he wants to move. That's the place. I thinking about that also is reminded that sometimes this idea of rejection. Sometimes I've, I've thought, what, what hurts the Lord more? What hurts the Lord more? When people choose, how can I say it? Choose not to believe, refuse to believe in him and reject the Christ of Christmas or when people who say they believe in the Christ of Christmas live as if they didn't believe. I mean, what hurts him more? I reject the Christ of Christmas. Or I say I believe in the Christ of Christmas, but I live as if I don't. I think God cares about how we're living. I think God cares about how it's, it shows up. Last thing, I think he gave in a way that brought, and this is a good thing, joy, and it brought hope to this world. It's our third piece. It goes back to verse 10 where it says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. In other words, we bring to you the best news ever, that the Savior is born. And I think when all is said and done, Christmas is really more than just saying, Emmanuel, God with us, that is a good thing. It is also saying, not only is God with us, God is for us. He gives his son so that we might be his sons and daughters. And that we might bring his light and life with us into this world. That is not just a quaint saying. That's a truism if we believe Jesus. But the Lord actually wants to implant us into our own lives such a reality of who he is that not that we come across as people who've got every act together. We're all, we all struggle. We, but you know what? There's something of the reality of, of the Lord in our lives that affects other people. That we become light and life bringers. We bring the redemption of Jesus. That is his will and way and desire. And in other words, how about this? I'll put it this way. May things be made better than they would have been if we weren't there because of God at work in our lives, in our relationships, in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplace, in our own heart. May things be better because the reality of the presence of the Lord is there. You know, okay, okay, I've said all that. Let me just sort of bring it to some way that, okay, I'm going to call this suggestions for, enter, for doing some practical things as we go into these next seven, ten, two weeks. So, okay, I want to honor the Lord. How do I do it? Okay, here's some ideas. Here's some ideas. There's other ideas. This is a couple. And I, so the reason I'm putting this out there because I am trying to make the case that if we are intentional about how we enter into these days, there is a unique blessing that God has for us in them. But it's going to require intention on our part and a willingness to do some things. And, and I'm going to say this. As we move into these next days, as we seek to honor the Lord, I want us to consider the possibility of, and this is simple, but it's, it, 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 it can make a huge difference. Let us determine to be a blesser of people. Let us make up our mind to, to bless people. Let's, let's be sensitive to blessing people. One of the ways we really can honor the Lord at Christmas time, and, honest, and honestly, it could be with cards, it could be with gifts. Um, I noticed there's a trend with email, e-cards e e e too these days. So, but just something, uh, helpful words, blessing. Honor the season. But, you know, it's so funny because my wife and I, we were having this conversation. We were, because we were debating. So, you know, should we put a letter? She puts, she likes to put a letter sometimes into some of, sort of into some of the Christmas cards. Just bear with me on this one. Okay. It, and in that letter, it, it'll, it'll kind of list some things that, that are, that were sort of highlights for our family in the year and, and where our kids are at. And, 
and we talked about it, you know, is it, should we say that? Is it helpful to people? Is it appreciated or is it, you know, because we're not, we're not writing a letter telling, here's all the struggles we had this year. You know, that's really what we're doing. We're, we're talking about things that we're, we're sort of grateful and joyful about and want people to be aware of. And, and so it was interesting because we were having this conversation as to is it helpful or is it, is it good or not? Should we do it? And then, and then so it's funny, we went out to eat. We were at this, at a restaurant and we were having, there was a waitress. And we got into a conversation and we started talking about the Lord. And we actually got, my wife started, they were talking about Christmas cards. She says, I don't like those letters that people give. They just tell all the good things that go on. I said, I said, well, you know, there, there's some good things to it as well. You know, I, but we had this really, it was so funny. We just started laughing because it was, it was this classic. But I thought, you know, however it is, but, well, this Christmas time, you know, and I thought, you know, some people get offended. Well, why get offended? Well, you keep a big heart. I mean, Christmas is a time for not being small. It's a reminder. Let your heart be filled with the joy. Let, let good words flow out of us. Be a blesser. Let, um, let there be blessing all over. Let the joy of the Lord be present in our lives. Choose to not be small-minded, to, to, to bicker over things, uh, to, to just get angry. But let the Lord at, say, Lord, I'm, one of the ways I want to honor you at this time of the year, and honor your birth, your gift, you're giving this for us, right? You gave yourself. You loved us so much. Lord, one of the ways I want to honor you is I want to bless others. I want to be a people of good words. I want to speak good words. I don't want to just join in. I want to watch what I'm talking about. I want to think about where I go and be, and be something that can be a blessing, Lord, these days. I want, to, I want to do this for you. I want to bless people. I want to acknowledge you. I want to be available to you, Lord, because I want to really please you with my life. And I ask you to fill me with your joy because you know what? Regardless of whatever I may be going through, and I, some of us are going through a very, can be going through a tough time, but you know what? We're so blessed. We have a God who loves us, who's given himself for us, who we have a great gift. This is a wonderful time. We're alive. We have people um, who are friends. We, we have the love of God. I mean, there's, we have the breath of life. It's a good, and you know what? Things always go better when we have a big heart. Don't let our hearts get shriveled and critical and angry and bitter and uh, distrustful. Just don't do that. Christmas, again, be free. Come, O Redeemer, come. Make me a blessing. Secondly, another way to do it, and this is an interesting one maybe, but I, I would, some of us might want to think about examining it, our, our Christmas activities in light of our values. What do I mean by that? Just quickly. What I mean by that is this. You know, some of us might value value things that we say, Lord, I value this part of the Christmas story. So serving, for example. Maybe we really feel like we want to serve the underprivileged or serve those who are hurting or be a blessing in some way in that way. Well, you know what? Then serve. Serve with all your heart. Some of us might say, Lord, we, we would just, I just, I just, I connect with the giving part. Then give. Give, give with, with largesse. Give with joy. Give hilarity. You know what I mean? Just give. Do it. Some of us say, you know, I really, I really pray. I love the part about praying and worshiping Jesus and drawing near. Then do that. Really do it. Engage it. Go at it. Do it. Honor the Lord. Pray for people. Worship him. Some of us, you know, it might be other things. I, I don't know. I don't know how, how, what the key is responding to the Lord in some way. But I was thinking about it even a little bit more. A lot of us are going to have situations that are going to be placed and we get to decide, are we going to honor what we say is important? And we might be put in situations and kinds of activities where we're going to get a chance to decide, you know, how am I going to honor the Lord here? And there might be things that, I guess what I'm saying is, can we live this, these next few weeks with a degree of intention so that there's not a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we're actually doing? And that might mean that we're going to have to gracefully 
um, think about how to position ourselves in certain places so that we don't violate some very basic agreements that we have with the Lord that is quite meaningful to us. It's going to challenge what we do and how we, how we go about these next few days. We're going to think about that, pray about that. How can I honor you in this, Lord? Is this going to honor you? Or is this going to be sort of a disconnect between, you know, I say I love you, I say I believe in you, but yet this is what I'm doing. Help me to live in alignment, Lord. Help my values, the way I live, reflect with, with, with your grace, Lord, a degree of integrity in my life so that I, I, can, I can say in my own heart that I'm trying to honor you in this way. That I don't, that again, I mean, a lot of the problem, again, I, I go back to that point, is that one of the main stumbling blocks for people who don't know Jesus is the unwillingness on the part of those who claim to know him to live humbly but honestly in a way that is grace-filled but yet consistent. Not perfect, because none of us are. But it makes a difference. Let's not say one thing and live another. By God's grace, welcome in and seek to honor him. Thirdly, you know, let's think about what it means to be a relational peace bringer. I was talking to somebody about this. We said, you know what, where are we bring? Maybe some of us are going to be brought into situations where there's a lot of hostility. Maybe it's, it, maybe it's the family situations, maybe the workplace. The temptation is going to be to join in. But what, if, what would it look like to represent the heart of the great peace bringer himself, Jesus, and bring peace into that place? What would that look like? Someone said to me, they said, after service last, last night, they said, you know what, I was listening to what that third idea there about being a, a, a relational peace bringer or just bring someone who brings peace, like the Prince of Peace who was born. And he said, you know what I did? I felt like I was supposed to ask somebody to forgive me. And it's been weeks. And you know what? I did it. And it was received. And I just wanted you to know that. And there's something about giving and forgiving and, and choosing not to take offense. And, and I just, that Christmas invites us to. Last one. It's, this was, it meant something for me, so I just threw it on there. I'll throw it on there. And that is this, that some of us might consider engaging um, this Christmas season's music, all right? And what I mean by that, all right, all right, some of you have heard them all hundreds of times. You know, I had, it was on a drive. It was a four-hour drive this week. And um, I said, you know what, I'm just going to listen, because now some of the radio stations, they just play Christmas music. I said, yeah, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to listen to some Christmas music. And I said, you know, I'm going to listen to Christmas music for the whole four hours. <laughs> I'll tell you, I never knew how many versions of Christmas songs there actually were. I, I, was, I was amazed at the wide range of, you know, people who, artists who've done them, styles. I mean, you name it. I was, I was, but you know what? I, it caught me. One of the things that caught me is that I never actually listened quite as intently to the words that were being sung even in some obscure songs that I never associate with. You know, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about some of the, the more, you know, lighthearted ones, but I was, I was surprised. I actually started listening, or, you know, you start, I was listening, I started hearing, I was like, wow, there's so much there. And these songs that are going on in the malls and in the shopping centers or at the Starbucks or some other coffee, but, you know, whatever, we're hearing them all the time. Listen to the words. Some of them are amazing. I mean, I even got blessed by Winter Wonderland. Right? I, I, I didn't know how that could happen. But there was that part in that song. I was, I was looking at it. I was going, there's that part in that song where it says, the plans that we made, walking in the winter. And I was going, 
And I caught myself thinking, yeah, I, I just need to pause and reflect about where things are going in the next phase of this, this coming year. And it, it was so funny. I just got kind of lost walking in the winter wonderland, thinking about the plans. that were, But I thought, wow, there's so much opportunity. And even in these songs and these carols, and of course, when we come together, those of us who can, on, on Christmas Eve, and we sing, we really engage it. We really honor the Lord. We sing with our heart, or we, we really embrace that. Listen for the words. They're amazing. Some of them are just astonishing in their depth. But however we choose to do it, can I say, can we honor, seek to be intentional about honoring the Lord's birth this Christmas season? He wants to show up in our lives. And in fact, when we close the service out, we were going to have one of those hymns done in a unique way. We'll find out together. But let me go ahead and just pray before we have our time of giving and they come up to close us out. And Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the word that we've shared. I thank you for um, how you love to come into the places that we're maybe most ashamed of. And maybe it's in that place where we most find what a loving and amazing and gracious God you truly are. You are the one who stoops to woo, to save, to win my soul. Christmas has everything to do with letting your joy fill our lives. And joy, in many ways, is a choice. We get to decide how we're going to embrace you. And you make yourself rejectable. You wait to be wanted. You knock. You don't kick the door open. You wait for us to let you in. What kind of God is this? Lord, we love you. We pray that our love for you would grow. We pray that in these coming days that there would be a softness and a tenderness about our, even our own hearts that would be real and genuine and honest that we would seek to live authentic lives, that we would commit ourselves to trying to live congruous lives, to seek to honor you, Lord, in our relationships, in the words we speak to one another, in the way that we represent you, albeit imperfectly, in the world in which we live, in the circles in which we engage. We pray that you would be to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Be the day star. Shine in our lives, Lord, we pray. Let your name be lifted high, even as we close this service out. You know, and we have our time of giving as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.